Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that, Je that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit to the labors of others, but our hope is that you, as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may greatly, may greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you, without boasting of work already done in, another, in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is the word for you today. Thanks, Marty. Ah, thanks, team. Appreciate you guys. Um, all right, so we, as I mentioned, we're, we're finishing up uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and uh, Pastor Ryan is, as I understand, traveling back uh, today from a well-deserved vacation with his family. And so uh, let's join together and pray in that uh, he uh, actually has safe travels. His family has safe travels. Um, and um, I appreciate your guys' prayers uh, towards me and my family as uh, we were exposed to COVID-19 um, yesterday, not yesterday, Friday um, ended the our self-quarantining time period of 14 days. Uh, we still have not received our test results back, but to the best of our knowledge and understanding of the, the sickness itself, um, we believe that we're, we're in the clear. So we're back here live streaming in the YMCA. Um, we appreciate um, just uh, your prayers um, towards us and the love that you guys have shown towards us. And... Um, uh, yeah, so let's jump into this. Uh, we got a good amount that I want to cover today, and uh, I want to be able to, to fit it all in here and also get you guys um, onto whatever else is on your schedule today. So, when boasting ends, their dignity begins. This is a quote from Owen D. Young. He was a, an American industrialist in the early 20th century. Now, I... I, I believe I understand uh, Owen's uh, sentiment uh, behind this statement. It's a sentiment that is good, it is right, it is one that uh, wants to do away with egotism. It wants to um, push against any and all forms of pride that um, prevent us from virtuous living. When I read this quote here, um, 
I was I had this question. Does boasting actually end? Does boasting actually end? Or does it just get redirected? Is it one possible to even stop boasting at all? And is it right to? Well, the Bible not only shows us that there is room for boasting, but it it seems to actually command it. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord, verse 17 of our passage. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Now, Paul here in this um, verse, in this short verse in 17, he's given a shorthand to a passage from Jeremiah chapter 9. So before we go any further, I invite you to turn with me to Jeremiah 9. And I want to, let's read this together. A little bit uh, more context and understanding of what Paul is meaning when he is saying this. Because this would be a a well understood um, concept in um, to those who, who follow Judaism. So verse 23 of chapter nine, Jeremiah, starting there, he says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love justice and righteousness in the earth for in these things I delight declares the Lord what is Paul saying he's saying boast in the Lord what is that really short for it's um, what God himself says is that he who boasts boasts in this that he understands and knows me that we understand and know God. This word boast is could also be translated rejoice or to glory in. It's really the word is really closely related to to pray. Meaning it's something we put our trust in. We pray to God because we trust in him. And I believe that we're all boasting in something. But the question is really what is the end to all our boasting in life? So the big idea, and we put that up there on the screen, the big idea for our boasting is this. Do we have it? Nope, we don't have it. Okay, that's okay. The boasting uh, is this, that when we are a people that are transformed by the power of the gospel so that our boasting would end completely and wholly in Jesus. It would end in Jesus. What is the end of your boasting today? Is it youth, beauty, wisdom, vitality, money, job security, family? Maybe it's something that you're good at. Maybe it's your parenting, the things that you choose to do or not do for your kids with your kids, allow them to be a part of or not be a part of what you spend money um, towards them on. Maybe it's just how you handle money in general. Maybe you're really good saving or good good at investing your money. Maybe you boast in the fact that you're a good friend, that you're a loyal friend, that you're there, that you can be relied upon. 
Maybe you boast in punctuality. You're always on time. You're never late for anything. What about politically or social ideologies that we have? That Maybe it's the, how, how we care for the earth. Or maybe it's protecting our constitutional rights. Or how we fight for equality. Or what about spiritually? Maybe it's our understanding of scripture and doctrine. How we can discern and, and interpret the word of God and apply the word of God to our lives. Or maybe it's our prayer life, that we have a robust prayer life. We pray an hour a day. We pray without ceasing. This is something that we do. It's a part of our life. We practice other spiritual disciplines. And, or maybe it's how we financially contribute, both to the church and other charities across the world. Maybe it's how we serve our community. Possibly it's our attendance on Sundays or community groups. And that's none of our boast right now, right? Are any of these things negative? No. None of these things are wrong in themselves. So how do we determine legitimacy here? I would say this, whether boasting is legitimate or not, it wholly depends on the object and validity of the boast itself. It wholly depends on one, what you're boasting in and the validity of your boast. What are you boasting in? Is it worthy to be boasted in? How much so? And what, is, what validity does your uh, boast hold? How much do you boast in it? 100% of all that you are? 50%, 90%? What is it? How much of the time do you boast in it? I want to submit a different wording to Owen Young's saying, and it would be this. Not, it, would, it would say it's when boasting ends, not just in general, but when it, bo- when it ends in Jesus, their dignity is not started, but it is found. The question is not when boasting must end, but where boasting must end. Dignity's dignity does not begin at turning to Jesus, but it is found in him when we turn to him. It is not found solely in Jesus, but wholly in Jesus. What do I mean by this? I mean that we can find dignity in a lot of things in life and a lot of good things in life But all of those things have been given to us by a good and gracious God. And so therefore, all of them meet their end if we are Christians and we believe according to the gospel and what the word of God teaches us, all of those things find their end in Christ. They find themselves holy in him. The things that are scattered in our lives become ordered when we center our lives around Christ. The things that are misappropriated, our alliances that are misappropriated in life become aligned. When we feel spread out, we feel thin, we just like, I don't know what to believe, I don't know who to believe. We become centered when we focus on Christ. Our boasting, we can see that it solely, or not solely, but wholly finds its end in Jesus. The first point I want to give us today is this, that boasting in God begins in God. Boasting in God begins in God. Let's, let's start in the passage here. Read with me in verse seven. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, 
let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. So the translation I'm reading from and the one that we typically read from the English Standard Version, it translates this, um, this first part as in imperative. It's saying, look, you must look. Um, now, uh, com- in comparison, the NIV or the New American Standard Bible translate it as an indicative. It's not saying what to do. It's saying just simply what is happening. It's saying more like you are looking, right? This is what you're doing. In my humble opinion, and I mean that sincerely, like uh, I could be completely wrong, uh, but I believe the best translation is the King James where it's more of an interrogative translation. It's asking a question towards the church. Paul is asking them a question. He, and if I were to read it from my interlinear Bible at home and straight from the Greek, it would read something like this. Do you look at things according to appearance? And this, this fits real neatly within the context of what we were um, reading last week that Pastor Ryan was walking through. Paul says in verse three, he says, for though we walk in according, uh, sorry, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. And then he follows up with this question in verse seven, do you look at things according to appearance or said another way, according to the flesh? Before you know, we get really practical here, and I hope to do that this morning. I want to ground us in something that is just so simple, but yet so profound to us, and is this, that you and I are gods. Before we understand anything else, we understand this, you and I are gods. Last week's primary takeaway that Pastor Ryan walked through was this. He told us that we are to be a people that are spiritually discerning. And let me tell you this, listen, listen. There is nothing, there is no way that you can discern the things in life if you are not first rooted in your mind, in your heart, that you belong to a God who formed you who loves you, who lost you, and bought you back and keeps you for all eternity. Until you root yourself in that foundational truth, you cannot discern the things that come at you. You will be tossed in every direction with every new situation that comes at you. And, and let me warn you that this, is, this has very little to do with our physical world that we inhabit. So God is not estranged from our physical being, our physical well-being, our physical world. He cares about those things. But listen, he cares so much more than that. He cares so much further beyond that. He is doing so much more beyond what we can see and what we can perceive. Yet the arguments that Paul was coming up against in Corinth from his opponents, the false apostles, had everything to do with what they could perceive and had nothing to do with what God had said was relevant, what the word of God told the church is relevant. And so I believe that as Paul is asking the church to to, to believe that I am one of you, he's a simultaneously convincing himself and reminding himself that he is one with God in Christ, that he is at first a Christian and then an apostle. 
Imagine you're a doctor and you're driving down the road and you come across a, a horrific accident. And so you stop, you're the first person on scene, there's no one else there. And you see a woman holding her husband who just had a, a serious head injury. And you approach the scene and you say, ma'am, your husband needs immediate attention or he's going to die. And she replies to you with this question. She says, how many accidents have you seen? You say, what? And she continues, what, have you ever been in an accident? And as a matter of fact, you know, what's your driving record look like? And you'd be like, lady, listen, that's irrelevant to the issue. Paul is saying that this boasting that these false apostles are doing, it's not that their boasting is wrong. It's not even how much they're boasting. It is that they're boasting in things that are irrelevant to the issue. I believe, again, that Paul has to convince himself before he continues on with this argument. He says, look, understand I am in Christ just as you are in Christ. And understand that this postured him. This postured him for the, the, the calling that God placed upon his life in order to approach the Corinthian church in the way that he did in humble confidence in a strength that he did. He had to posture himself. It had to come from a place of first understanding who he was. As he said in verse one, he said, it is by the meekness, it is by the gentleness of Christ that I entreat you. Paul knew that he had to, what he had to do because he knew what Christ said about him first. He knew what Christ said about him. Let me further drill this idea down for us by reminding us from scripture what God says about us, his people. Let me start in the Old Testament. I'm gonna read, just fly through a few verses. Uh, verses here. Leviticus 20, verse 26. Thus you are to be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. John 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, referring to his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Romans 14, verse eight. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Last one, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Let me ask you a question. What is your feeling about yourself today? What do you understand about yourself? And what is your feeling about your relationship with God today? And your understanding of your place in relationship to him right now? And does it line up with the truth of scripture? Does what you believe about yourself in your relationship to God line up with the truth of scripture?
This is our boast, church, that we understand and we know him. We understand what he says about us, to us and about us, and we know him. The second point is boasting in God means pointing to God. First is boasting in God means it begins in God. The second is boasting in God means pointing to God. We're starting now to, to, put, to put this kind of boast into action. How do, we, how do we actually work out this boast? So Paul, he had a place of authority in the church. His place of authority was given to him by God. It was to be over the church. You can see that it was given to him in verse eight. We can see that also in verse 13 that he was appointed to this influence. And he is committed to use his authority in a God-honoring way that would display the gospel. In every situation, he's committed to it. Now, you may have a position of authority. Uh, You may be a boss or a supervisor, someone who oversees someone else. You may be more in a place of, like more indirectly in a place of governance and you're overseeing in that form of authority. Or you may hold the title of father or mother and you have that place of God-given authority in your life. Even if you don't hold a place of authority, a position of authority yet, you will one day. But more importantly, everyone has influence today. Every single one of us hold, holds a place of influence in someone else's life today. And I want to talk about authority the way Paul is talking about it in a little bit different way. I want to talk about it a bit more broadly. I believe we've done a pretty good job up until this point in the book of 2 Corinthians of unpacking what Paul is defending, his place of apostleship, why he's doing that, what he's coming up against. Instead of rehashing a lot of that, a lot of that today, I'd like to use this scenario as kind of a case study in order to apply to us what does it mean to actually use our place, whatever it is of authority or whatever other kind of influence we have to further the gospel. And so the question is this, what area of influence has God assigned to you and, and to me and what, what are we doing with it? What area of influence has God given us and what are we doing with it? So before we go any further, think of one area of influence you have in your life. I want you to grab a hold of whatever that area of influence is. Think of it, keep it in your mind, hold on to it, and then work to apply these principles that we're going to walk through using this scenario that Paul's walking through and try to apply them to our own lives. So we're gonna do this in three ways. We'll look at how the, our influence, we'll call this gospel influence, or the influence of the furthering of the gospel. How the, um, the, our gospel influences our lives in this way. So how, the, how to use gospel influence, how, the why behind gospel influence, and the who in front of gospel influence. So the first thing, the how to use gospel influence. Uh, three different things on this one. The first is this, uh, to build up and not destroy. How do we use our gospel influence? It is to build up and not destroy. Verse eight, look with me says, for even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. 
to build up and not destroy. This word build up does not simply mean to encourage. It, it certainly does mean to encourage, but it's not that simple. There are things in our lives that we should not encourage each other to do. You ought not to encourage me to go run out uh, across I-4 during five o'clock rush hour. That, that would not be for my betterment. That would be for my, to my detriment. Okay, so you should not encourage me to do that. Just like a builder who's preparing to build a home before he lays a foundation, he has to go around and he has to chip away at the rock and he has to remove debris, debris in order to clear a level and smooth area to lay his foundation. So we must also seek to build others up in a manner that sometimes has to be chipping away at each other's lives. Now, this doesn't mean that we're other people's saviors or sanctifiers, but God does use us in our positions of authority to speak into other people's life. The word of God tells us that we are to sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. How do we do this? We do this with the word of God. We begin to chip away in order to lay foundations that are strong and sturdiness in Christ with the word of God with reminding each other what the word of God says. By, uh, by taking each, each other's focus and that may be boasting in something that's irrelevant to the gospel and the advancement of Jesus' mission here on earth of the kingdom going forward, and we take that and we, we help each other refocus and center on Christ being our all in all and our boast. And we must remember that the influence we have is always given by God. And it's not only given by God, but it is not simply for our sake. It is for others' sake. Now, let's be, let's be real. I mean, influence is intoxicating. It feels good to have influence. It feels good to have people like you, to follow you, to listen to you. But the moment we begin to use our influence for our own agendas, is, the, is the, right at the moment where we begin to move from the context and the area of building someone up and over into the area of destroying them. We can all think of, you know, examples of this, I'm sure, of how someone has used their influence for evil in very overt ways and extreme ways like Hitler and the Nazi regime to pastors over churches say that I just wanted to build the church just wanted to grow the church I wanted a lot of people to marriages I just wanted to be happy the friendships I just wanted to be liked understand this church we must always remember that Jesus Jesus never sought his own agenda but only the will of of the Father. We must be a people that do not seek our own agenda, but we seek to build others up. Not for the destruction, but to build them up. This is a hard thing to do. It takes a great bit of humility. And the second thing, second how to use our gospel influence is with a humble strength. Verse 11, starting in verse 10, he says, his letters are weighty 
and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Verse 11, let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Paul's like, test me. You feeling froggy? Leap. No, he's not, he's not really you know, acting in that manner. Paul's coming at with, with immense amount of humility here, but immense amount of strength simultaneously. He's saying, listen, if you don't believe me, I'm saying, try me. Let's see what happens. Because here, here, here's the scenario. How is Paul demonstrating humility? Well, Paul's apostleship, unlike Old Testament prophets, um, his apostleship, primarily his role was for the salvation of people. However, Paul was willing to exercise his secondary role and pronounce judgment on the church in Corinth if he needed to. Paul was acting in a state of humility by restraining himself, but his strength in saying, look, if it needs to be, I know it will be for your good. And believe me, because I'm for your good, because I'm for the glory of God, I will pronounce judgment as well. The difference is between being willing and eager. And you've heard uh, us talk about this before. Pastor Ryan was talking about this when it had to do with church discipline. The difference is being willing to do something and being eager to do something. Paul is willing to do it. He's not eager to. And there are moments in our lives, church, where we will have to use our influence in whatever scenario that is, whatever for you, your influence, you have to use it um, to put somebody in line to put another person in line. You have to because you are the person who has influence in that person's life. And if you don't do it, then who will? How will they ever see their error? Remember this verse, Proverbs 27, five, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Commit, commit that passage to memory, church. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. The key is to have humility, a humility to know when a rebuke is not necessary and the strength to know when it is. The third way um, and, and how to use our influence is with sobriety, with sobriety. Verse 12 says this, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Paul is saying they don't understand. They can't understand. We are people who are called to walk with a sober mentality about ourselves and about the world around us. We are not called to live in a, a haughty um, type of manner because Paul is basically saying here that to do so is to walk without understanding. How does this flesh out? Well, how do we know that we uh, are boasting in something other than God? It's really simple. It's when we start to uh, measure ourselves against that thing and not God. 
when we start measuring ourselves against whatever that thing is and stop measuring ourselves against the God who created us. So think about all the areas in our lives, just concerning um, relationships, all the ways that we have messed things up. We have created messes in our lives because we have decided to measure ourselves against someone else. What's the antidote? Well, it's to measure yourself against God and to compare yourself with him. To borrow uh, John Piper's language here, if the ant measures himself against the Sun Trust Center downtown, he will not boast over the flea. The issue comes into what what are we comparing ourselves to? It's perspective. How could the ant possibly boast over a flea when he's not comparing himself to the flea? He's comparing himself to a giant skyscraper. And when we measure ourselves against God and compare ourselves with him, it produces two things. It produces in us awe. It produces in us this awe because we are looking up to God and not horizontally towards man. We tend to do this. We tend to see ourselves and say, well, I'm better than this person here, but I'm, I'm not quite as good over here. Here's the standard and I'm, I'm, I'm above it here, but I'm below it here. I'm gotta say, no, 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 no. I want you to measure yourself vertically with me. And when we do that, church, when we measure ourselves to a holy and righteous God, our inevitable response is this, wretched am I. Woe is me. I am a sinner with unclean lips. How could we ever boast over another person when we measure ourselves correctly? And as we continue to see the holiness of God increase in our lives, our awareness of the holiness of God increase in our lives, it produces in us an awareness of our own sinfulness in our lives. And and we see this gap that's in our lives that our sinfulness and God's holiness is, 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 is separate from. He is other than us. And this continues to grow in an awareness. The gap can, continues to become larger and larger and larger. And if you know the illustration, the only thing that can bridge the gap there is the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus. And so as our awareness in these two areas grows, the cross becomes larger and larger and more important and more valuable and more precious in our eyes. It, becomes to, it begins to be the thing that we center our lives around, that we boast in with all that we are. It becomes the end to everything because without it, we're nothing. When we lose sight of that, we're without understanding. So not only does it produce awe in us, but it also produces thankfulness in us. It produces a thankfulness in our hearts. Uh, Scott Hafeman, he says, to boast in the Lord is to exalt in what the grace of God has accomplished in one's life. So now we start to really get down to brass tacks here on what we're, what we're talking about. If God is truly the author, if he's truly the sustainer, if he's truly the finisher of all things, then there is literally nothing in my life or in your life that I have or that you have that is not an accomplishment of his grace in our lives. Nothing. This is what it means to use our influence for the advancement of the gospel. Second thing is the why behind gospel influence. 
The first is the how to use gospel influence. The second is the why behind gospel influence. This is much quicker. There's only one thing I want to say on it. And let's read it first in verse 13. It says, but we will not boast beyond limits, but we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even to you. Verse 14, for we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. The why behind gospel influence, it is to reach, to reach. So God has assigned influence in each and every one of our lives so that the gospel may be proclaimed to others. This is through and through the reason every Christian has anything in life. It is the reason that we continually call you to leverage your time, your talent, and your treasure for the advancement of the gospel. It is because, as we read in chapter 9, verse 11, that you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You will be be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. The question is, what is every way for you? What is every way for you, Christian? How has God enriched you and how are you leveraging that to be generous with it? How are you doing so so that others may be reached? The third thing, the who in front of gospel influence. We understand the the how to use gospel influence, the why behind gospel influence is to reach others. Now, who is it that is in front of the influence? And this is more subjective here. And so it begins with this question, who are you among? Verse 15, we do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, for, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another areas of in, other area, another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Who are you among? Who has God given you right here in this moment that's right in front of you that is currently in your area of influence? Who is it? Acts 17, 26 tells us that God determines and and allotted allotted the periods and the boundaries of our dwelling place. God has determined these things. If that's true, then there's nothing by chance in all of our lives. That God has not foreordained where, where um, where you are to be and what your area of influence is. It means that you did not move to Orlando simply to get a better job. You did not move to Orlando simply to go to school. You did not stay in Orlando simply because you had no better option. But it is because God has purposefully placed you here. Man, understanding that changes everything. It changes everything in life in that perspective. That God has established you here for his sovereignty and his goodness. He has put you here for a reason. He has placed you in a sphere of influence for a specific purpose. And I remind you of what Paul's words were in chapter two. He says that for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. You know what this means? It means that we are simply the, the fragrance, the scent of Christ's sacrifice wherever we go with our lives, what we do with our lives, how we leverage our time, talent, treasure for the kingdom of God. We are the fragrance to God and among all who we encounter. 
But it's not only who you are among, it is who is beyond you. Verse 16 tells us that Paul was given an area of influence among the Corinthians so that they may preach that the gospel lands beyond them. So what does God want to do above and beyond your current situation? What does God want to do above and beyond your current influence in life so that the gospel of Jesus Christ may advance? This is a little bit harder question to answer. The wisdom of God is far greater and far grander than anything that we could ever comprehend. If God can accomplish, think about this, if God can accomplish his sovereign will in your life and my life, thus far up until this point right here, and, and placed us in, uh, around the, the boundaries and particular places that we dwell so that we might be an influence to other people in this current situation, then surely he has a plan that is yet to be executed in those that come after us. It's one thing to think about how you can shape others' life with your current um, influences. It's another thing entirely to start thinking about your influence that will outlast you that your influence and how that will outlast you when you are gone. You know, so think about it this way. So if you're a, a boss of someone, you know, forget that. If you're, if you're a, a, a part-time worker flipping burgers, whatever you're doing, what are you doing in such a manner so that your influence outlasts you when you leave that job? It's really easy to understand maybe if you're a parent. All of us as parents, we want so badly that our influence in our children's lives would outlast us to their children and to God willing, their children and their children and their children. That the influence that we have right now, it goes beyond just today. It goes on till tomorrow. And Lord willing, by his grace and in his sovereignty, using that influence, using that, that weakness, that foolishness, using it for his glory to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. So in closing, in the, in the beginning of the sermon, I said whether boasting is legitimate or not, or, or uh, you know, it wholly depends on the object and the validity of the boast itself, right? And, um, you know, what, what validity do you carry? I mean, even in our boasting in Jesus, even in our boasting in the Lord, man, we fall flat, don't we? We fall flat on our face sometimes, of course, we could say, amen, yes, Josiah, I want that. That is, that is my heart's desire. But man, in action, I fall flat on my face. Let me remind us, church, that Jesus' validity is through and through. He never falls flat, right? Jesus has carried out everything that we have failed to do. Jesus' work on the cross is utterly and completely finished in its effectiveness and its final and its ultimate end. It is done. And it, it got, Jesus is no slouch when it comes to performing what he needs to perform. Completing his work, he's completed and dotted every I, he's crossed every T, it's done. And God in Christ, church, has equipped you. He's equipped you with everything that you need everything to be an influence for the gospel wherever you are at. He's equipped you. No matter what you may feel or think about yourself, no matter what argument you can give against that, the fact is 
He's equipped you. He's with you. Jesus has not come up short in his work toward you. Verse 18 says, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. I want to quickly, I know we're a little over here on time. If you would, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to finish with this passage. As the band's coming to prepare to lead us in a couple songs now. Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 14 and read through 21. Um, 14 through 19 to begin with. So it says this, Paul, again, to the church in um, Ephesus. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. We can read verse 18 in 2 Corinthians 10. We can read it as a warning to those who commend themselves, but we can also read it as a promise to those whom the Lord commends, right? Yes, it can be condemning, but it is also a promise to us who boast in Christ. And it says this, Christian, he approves of you. He commends you. He's already commended you. Is this your boast today? Is this your boast? Is it everything you are? Is it where everything that you boast in ends in holy? If it is, then boast loudly with the gospel. Boast loudly with it. It's all you have. Sing it loud. Boast in it. Declare it with everything that you are. Finishing out, verse 20 of Ephesians says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's sing.